Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Everybody, welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, I have a great vignette for you. Oh, good, Justin. It's a That's... medical vignette. You know how you like medical crap? I do, sort of like in um, in Reader's Digest, when they have those those little vignettes about like funny medical stories, laughter is the best medicine. Aren't they... Everybody loves those, right? Listen, who's doing this intro? Me or you? I'm just, I'm just I saying like that I love those. you're trying to derail those. me. And rest control of this great, perfectly honed intro. I've I used written. to have stacks of Reader's Digest. That is not a lie. Stacks and stacks because I kept everyone I read. It's like your medical journals. <laughs> that you just hoard around the house like a medical journal hoarder. I'm going to get to all of them. Uh, okay, so here's my vignette. You know the video for She Blinded Me With Science? You know that song by Thomas Dolby? Yes. Um, there's an old man in there and he's the one who's like, science! Right. And they wanted him to wear um, a medical coat. Okay. For that, but he refused because it's a crime. It's a crime to impersonate a doctor <laughs> in the UK. Now I know what? what you're saying. Is that how acting works? And the answer is no, it isn't. <laughs> but I don't think we were working with like a crack crack team of professionals here. What's well, a crime to impersonate a doctor in the US too? Right? Yes, yes. I'm sure if he had been a very very dumb American, he would have thought the same thing. But. <laughs> no. I don't want to besmirch his good name. I'm, you know, I, here's the thing. I got this from pop-up video like a decade ago. So maybe my memory of it may be uh, mixed up or pop-up video may have been lied to me. It's hard to say. It, it, that's really difficult. You know, do you think that's why McDreamy quit Grey's Anatomy? Because he was he knew the cops, finally... were, the cops were catching up to him. <laughs> they were, catching up. They were, they were sniffing around, asking yeah. his friends and, and relatives, like, so what does he, where, what does he do during the day? Yeah, where is this? You remember the kid from Can't Buy Me Love? <laughs> Where's what he? is he doing now? And what's he wearing while he's doing that? What is he yeah. What are they clothes for? Where are they now is actually like an investigation, a, a federal investigation <laughs> for a... Uh, 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 Portrayed as a TV show, it was, um, the, it was the CIA all along. But yeah, he wouldn't wear a doctor's coat because that because he thought it was a crime. Well, I, I I agree with you. I don't think it is a crime. But uh, as long as we're talking about doctor's coats, <laughs> you want to talk about that for the show we do? Do you want to hear more about them? Uh, yeah, actually, but I do, Sid. Not just doctor's coats. I want to talk a little bit about just some of the medical garb, some of the things we associate with doctors. What we are you know supposed to wear, I guess. Mm-hmm. How we are. Uh, portrayed in television, movies, caricature, sure. you know, what, yeah. what you think a doctor's supposed to look like. Because uh, that's changed. 
through the years, as you may imagine. Of course. Uh, I want to thank Aaron and Jeremy for both recommending this topic. Uh, this is this was really cool for me to read about, too, because I never thought about, like, the white coat. Let's start with the white coat. Okay. When do you think doctors started wearing those? Well, um... You're reading ahead. You're cheating. No, I'm not. I, I, I it's around, it, it goes hand in hand with germ theory, right? Uh, yeah. So, like, Semmelweis. Like, no, not that far back. Not that far back. No, but there there is an association. I mean, that's fair. There is an association with... Uh, the white coat and um, science as well as antisepsis. So we did not, as doctors, we did not wear anything like a white coat until about 100 years ago. Uh, Prior to that, early on, physicians mainly dressed in black. Because it looks cool? Like they're trying to look cool and rad? Well, yeah. I mean, it does look cool. But... There were a couple reasons. One is that black was has and still is a formal color, like formal attire is black. You know, mm-hmm. suits, tuxedos, you know, formal gowns, robes, okay. judges, mm-hmm. magistrates, priests. You well, know, I know that the doc- black is a formal color. Medicine and the clergy have a a long running connection, so I wonder if that's part of it. That is part of it. The tie between. Uh, because there were so many members of the clergy acting as physicians. And then even as we branched away from the church, uh, that that kind of idea that because it is such a somber, formal profession, that same, you know, long black robes would be worn over your clothing. So right. very similar to what we think of as like, like a judge wearing, you know. Fancy. Yeah, very fancy. Um, so it was very formal. Uh, doctors were people who were supposed to be respected, and those kinds of like big black robes commanded respect and you know power. Mm-hmm. And so th- that was another reason they wore them. And then the other thought is that it, we have in our culture anyway associated wearing black clothing with mourning and death and grieving and so so if they beef it they're already like suited up and ready to like hold on let me just jump in my uh uh, uh, grieving mode okay well you got to think for a long time we didn't know what we were doing and so when you visited a doctor because you were sick i mean your odds were already not great just by virtue of the fact that you were walking in the door and then again for a long time we did some pretty if if you listen to the show you know this we did some pretty messed up stuff and so once you got into our hands your odds were a lot worse yeah it's sort of like in mad dog mccree fmv classic when you get uh shot in mad dog mccree the next face you see is the undertaker and he mm-hmm. talks to you, and he's like, you better get lucky, you're going to be dead. And it's like, well, okay, are, are, are you seeing me for medical, am I here for medical treatment right now? Like, I understand the connection between, like, if I don't, I better get lucky or I'm going to get dead. I, I I understand that. But, like, are you, are we, are you a medical doctor at this point? Are you just, like, biding your time? What's going on? If he is a medical doctor. Did I doctor- wake up? That doesn't seem like a great arrangement for you because he has like a vested interest in you not win win for know, him not making yeah, it yeah win win. Um, now while doctors were like I said for for up until about a hundred years ago formal attire you know if you if you went to visit a patient at their home um, even when doctors weren't wearing the the big black robes even as those you know it began to fall out of fashion to have the robes on necessarily you would still dress in like and we're, we're mainly talking about men at the time you know there weren't as many female doctors uh, in suits 
very formally attired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was just the way, you know, if you got blood or guts or whatever on them, that's just what happened. So you would just walk around with that all over your street clothes, your, well, your formal street clothes. Yeah. Um, now, lab techs, people who worked in, once we began to develop the idea of like laboratory science and experimentation, and the scientific method and that kind of thing, people who worked within laboratories and in, in science-related fields already wore coats similar to what we think of as the white coat. Now, they were actually beige at the time. Um, but there was already this established connection between a lab coat and science, you know, okay. something something scientific, something that required thought and experimentation and, you know, evidence. Okay. Um, so in the late 1800s, when we see this shift in medicine towards, you know, maybe instead of just making stuff up as we go we should start coming up with good guesses, testing them, and then writing it all down and doing the things that work and not do the things that don't work. Sounds like a lot of work to me, Doc. I don't know. Uh, maybe we should just keep with the bleeding and stuff. That seems to be working fine. This It's weird that that was revolutionary because mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like... But, the, but there you go. It was. Yeah, um, have it. But as we began to, to apply more science to medicine... Uh, physicians wanted to to echo that, and so they adopted the lab coat, the white coat as well. Um, so initially, like I said, it would have been beige, but at the same time, kind of what you alluded to, Justin, we were we were getting the concept of like antisepsis, mm -hmm. that there were germs, and that we wanted cleanliness. Sure, that that there was a connection between having clothes that looked clean and like surroundings that looked clean and things that looked very clean and health. And hence, white became the color. It's a lot easier to hide stains on a black coat than it is on a white one. Exactly. So, so then everything, basically everything, became white. Mm. Um, the the not just the white coat, you know, that doctors started wearing, but you also at this time, and I'll get into this a little bit more. You see, like scrubs and nurses' uniforms, everything, everything becomes white because the the idea was that then you would you know, a patient would walk in and they would see all this spotless white everywhere and think yeah, everything's they, very clean. clean yeah. Um the white coats were adopted by surgeons first. Because of blood, right? Uh, again, I think it was more the connection with the operating room. Okay. Um and then the uh the hospital doctors started wearing them as well. So the, the surgeons in the hospital would wear them and then the other doctors who worked within a hospital setting saw that and said, yeah, that looks like a good, I like that. Um, and then finally, uh, doctors who worked in offices followed suit. And by the 1920s, it was just kind of the standard. You began to associate this white coat with physicians. And, by, and uh, then I think the next big evolution sort of after that was the red nose and big clown shoes from Patch Adams. Um, <laughs> Which, of course, are standard issues to every... Issue. Doctor, if you're not patient, you win, you lose. <laughs> um, in the 1990s, they actually developed something the, called the white coat ceremony, and you may not have heard of this if you're not, you know, either involved in the medical field or don't know, you know, anybody. And you know, sometimes like Justin, you've heard of it. If you're a Justin, you may have been to a few <laughs> by this point. If you're a Justin McElroy, uh, and the white coat ceremony invented by Arnold Gold was kind of uh, supposed to be like this initiation rite of passage, so to speak, into the medical field symbolized by the white coat. So uh, I had a white coat ceremony. You, you stand there nervously until you get to walk across the stage and somebody puts a white coat on you and then you 
you are a medical student. You're not a doctor. You're a medical student. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, just, it's just, it's the moment when you've decided that someday I'm going to be a doctor. At least I'm willing to start paying, you know, a hundred thousand bucks or so to work towards that happening. <laughs> so you get, wait, you get the white coat at the beginning of your medical school thing? Yeah. Remember? That's right. Yeah. And, it, and so I've it's I've been to something- a few in the past, so it's hard to... Well, it, it is confusing because it's something that evolves. So if you'll notice, medical students wear white coats and then physicians wear white coats. Right. But they're different lengths. Exactly. The student coat is uh, just like to the waist, almost like a sports coat, <laughs> slightly longer sports coat. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not very convenient. There aren't as big pockets. Um, they never fit. I don't know if maybe there are other schools where this is not true. They don't fit women well. They don't. Surprise. There it is. Um, they're very, they're just made for, for a more, you know, so typical, like, broader shoulder, narrower waist. And uh, they're not really made to accommodate, like, it's the glass ceiling my and the, hips. It's the glass ceiling and the ill-fitting coat. Yeah, that's, that is a, that is prevalent in medicine, in medical garb. Um, the, when you become a resident, so when you're done with your medical school, and so you get your degree, and you're a doctor, mm-hmm. then you get the long white coat. Which is a big deal because then you look like a doctor, and that's and if you, someone steals it, um, you have to grant them three wishes before you can be a doctor again. A lot of people don't know that. They they also uh, a lot of times or they can learn your name if they learn your name. Then that's you can, true. Yeah, uh, a lot of times the student code will just have like a symbol of your um, of your uh, medical school on it. It won't necessarily have your name stitched on it. You'll like wear a name tag, but don't have it stitched on it. When you get like your Official doctor code, it has your name stitched on it, and it has, like, all the pockets everywhere for all of the stuff you carry around. Now, what's interesting about that is this, the white coat is, is I mean, it's symbolic of doctors, right? Like, you yeah. think of that, you, you you think of doctors. If you see, you know, a cartoon doctor. He's wearing a white coat. He's wearing a white she, coat. Or she. Yes, exactly. I was thinking of Dr. Hibbert. I think that's why I said he. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> This is all I'm picturing as I'm talking. It's just Simpsons in my head. Um, but he or she is wearing a white coat, typically. What's weird is that not all doctors wear those anymore. Oh, yeah? Uh-uh. No. So more and more doctors are moving away from the white coat, especially certain groups. Uh, pediatricians don't tend to wear white coats as often because they're intimidating to kids. Sure. You know, they can be scary. Um, psychiatrists often don't wear white coats. Because, again, they can be upsetting to their patients sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, In family medicine, I can't tell you the last time I wore my white coat. I mean, it's been a long time. As a resident, I found it quite handy because it had the big pockets, and so I could carry a lot of stuff in it when I was going around the hospital. But uh, more and more, we see doctors kind of moving away from it for a couple of reasons. One, because it creates like this barrier in my Mm -hmm. mind between me and my patients. Like, Mm -hmm. look at me in my fancy white coat. But don't you think that's, I mean, doesn't it make it harder to, like, get them to listen to you and get respect, like, without the coat? You know what's really interesting? They did a study where they asked patients if they, like, trust and have more respect for their doctor if they wear a white coat or not. Mm -hmm. And it's a really generational divide. Really? Older patients tend to like a physician to wear the white coat and feel like they're having more of, like, the doctor experience, whereas Mm -hmm. younger patients tend to prefer that their doctors not wear it. So they feel like it's more of like a, a partnership, like a teamwork kind of thing. You should offer them the option before you come in. <laughs> with or without white coat? I'm sorry, would you like Dr. McElroy with or without the white coat today? We like to give everybody the choice. There's also, the last thing I'll say about white coats, there's also a lot of question about 
uh, white coats as fomites. Fomites being inanimate objects that for that serve as uh, carriers of disease. So there's lots of things that you could wear that would be a you know your watch, um, just a long sleeve shirt, right? Right. But but the, but the thought is that white coats there there's been a lot of fear that maybe they were spreading disease. Now there's never been a study that's really borne that out. That's really shown that like a white coat. I mean yes, there's been studies that show white coats carry bacteria. Yeah, but anything you wear in the hospital is probably going to carry bacteria on it. it except just, for the like fact that us, you like I carry bacteria on me. <laughs> except for the fact that you almost certainly aren't washing your coat as as often as you wear new clothes, which is to say every single day. So this is one of the grounds of the argument that physicians who are against white coats now make is that even though, yes, anything can carry germs, when polled, physicians rarely wash their white coats. And so that was that was one big argument. Um, I think in the UK, they actually forbid like elbows down. You can't have anything on your arms. Okay. So like they're... I don't know if their white coats are short sleeved or if they just got cut rid of the offs, white coats. Like sweet cutoffs. I have. There are physicians I work with who wear short sleeved white coats as a result, uh, not as a result of that band, but because of these this thought, this feeling, this theory. So, I think nothing from the elbows down sounds like a reasonable idea either way. Um, I don't know. I would say toss off your white coat would be my advice, but to each their own. Now, what about underneath the white coat? I- I know you guys wear scrubs. I know you've stolen a lot of scrubs over the years. Don't tell anybody that. Sorry. (laughs) So scrubs, similar to the white coat, prior to the late late 1800s, doctors were just wearing street clothes. Um, And they would get blood and guts and poop and goo and snot all over their street clothes. And um, it it would be like a source of pride. Look at what a good doctor I am. I got so bloody today. <laughs> I really got in there. <laughs> I really got in there, and I didn't help anybody, but I, I, I was in there. Um, sometimes if they were in the operating room, they would just wear, like, big surgical aprons, which are sort of like butcher aprons. That's a cool image. That's yeah. a cool image to, like, chill people out with. Yeah, not that would be fairly Hi, upsetting. my name is uh, Dr. Peterson, and uh, I'm going to get in there today. <laughs> I'm going to get elbow deep in you. So bad that I have this... Protective apron, because some of that, some of you ain't coming out of my clothes if I don't wear something to protect myself. That's how much you is going to be out of you and on me today. Especially great without anesthesia. Sure. You're just looking at that. Just looking at Dexter standing there over you. Sure. Um, uh, Nurses would wear these surgical aprons as well. And then whatever accumulated on the surgical aprons just kind of stayed there. Uh, So again, as we move into times where we want things to be cleaner, we worry about germs, um, and we we don't want to get so messy, we start to develop things like surgical gowns and drapes. These are like precursors of the scrubs. Okay. So scrub-like things, but really just gowns that you would put on just when you're in the operating room. And then eventually from that, we see the creation of scrubs. So like an entire outfit, you know, pants and shirt that you can wear inside the operating room. And then from there in the entire hospital that would be comfortable, easy to move in, easy to wash, you know, fabric that would be really easy to just throw in the washer constantly because you wanted to keep them clean um, and that everybody could wear. What makes a good scrub, Sydney? I'm going to give you one minute because I know you have strong opinions on the scrubs that are good and the scrubs that are not as comfortable. Okay. When scrubs are brand new, they're very uncomfortable. They're very stiff. Um, they, I mean, it's, it's recommended that they be 100% cotton. Um, ours are not. I just use the ones at the hospital. They're very stiff and scratchy. Uh, after they've been washed a ton, they get really soft. 
and that's way better. Again, though, they're way they're they're sewn and cut way better for men than they are for typical male bodies than for female bodies. I will say everyone is different, um, but for my female body, they don't fit me very well. Um, and so uh, I generally had to go like a size up to accommodate, you know, your womanhood. My woman <laughs> to accommodate my boobs. There you go. There it is. Um, but washing them more, they get better. Uh, they never fit like they do on Grey's Anatomy. Let me tell you that. <laughs> well, they're not tailored. For sure. Um, they get the name scrubs from the process of scrubbing in for surgery. Oh, yeah. I know about that. Yeah. So you get all clean. When we scrub in for surgery, Like we like wash our hands really long and really hard and scrub our nails and wash all the way up to the elbow and then don't touch anything. And you get your special clean suit on, which became scrubs. Oh, These oh, yeah. call them whites but, because they were white. Yeah, but not anymore. Now they're not white. So now they're scrubs. The scrubs stuck. Whites didn't. Um like I said, initially, everything in the OR was white. Now, if you've ever been in an operating room or seen one, they're pretty bright, right? Yeah. So imagine that you're a surgeon, you're doing technical work, you're down in there in the blood and guts staring at that, and then you look up and the entire room is bathed in glowing white light constantly. Very distracting. Very hard on the eyes. Hard on the eyes, okay. So uh, you can get red fatigue from looking inside the gooshy human body for too long. Oh. Staring at all that pink and red. And that, after a while, it gets hard to distinguish what's pink and what's red and what's... And that's know, important. That, yeah, that's important to know what all the gooshy things are. So uh, what happens when, that, when you get the red fatigue is you look up at a white surface and you see those like green shadows. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? yeah, yeah. Um, and so to cut down on that, they started making scrubs, different colors, most blue and green. That's the most common color for scrubs, blue or green. Those feel like clean colors. Well, no, the green is the opposite of red. Oh, and it's the other okay. set. It's the other pathway. The other set of cones you oh, got. All right. So when you look at something green, it almost like recharges your red, okay. you know, vision. Yeah. And so you're able to distinguish all those blood and guts a little better. So there you go. Blue and green scrubs, especially green. Ours are green um, for that reason. Cool. That's interesting. Um, I want to hear. I'll, okay, here's what I want to know about. You want to know, know about the what? thing, the shiny thing on the head? I'm making in a circle in top of my forehead right now with my thumb and forefinger. You can't tell. I'm going to tell you all about that, Justin, right after we go to the billing department. Let's go. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. 
get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, I've waited long enough, Sydney. Tell me about that little thing up there that all cartoon doctors have and no one's ever had in real life. Dr. Hibbert Hibbert wears one of those, too. Of course he does. So uh, Justin's referring to the head mirror, which is that round, shiny thing that is usually depicted like squarely in the center of a doctor's forehead. Right. That is not where you would wear that for any use. Let me say that to begin with. So what is this thing for? Okay. Yes. The idea of a head mirror is to uh, be able to reflect light in order to more closely examine, uh, like, the back of the throat, to look down the throat, or up the nose. Okay? So, in order to use it, what you would do is, is like, if I, right now I'm sitting across from Justin. Okay. If I had a head mirror on, I would have a light directly behind him, just above and behind him. I would flip my mirror over my eye. If you notice, there's a hole in the middle of the head mirror. Okay. It goes over one eye, and you're looking through the hole in the middle. What? And the surface that now is outward is very shiny reflective. It's a mirror. It's a concave mirror. So it's going to reflect that light source from behind Justin off of my mirror and then down his throat or up his nose or wherever I'm looking. That is the purpose of the head mirror. Baffling. Yep. But now we have, like, electricity? Well, uh, hold on. Let me let me tell you the okay, history of this. So okay. it was invented in 1743 by a French... I, I had to figure this out. It was an Aconchor, which is like a... It, he was like a, a male midwife or perhaps obstetrician. I'm not really sure. You're Either not really Aconchor. <laughs> no, oh. I'm not. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, Levert. And he developed a bent mirror that he could wear and look. He was obsessed with the larynx, which is, again, very, that's back at, you know, back in, th- that's back in the throat. There. That's not in anywhere where a midwife or an obstetrician would be examining. So this confused me further. So it was just a fetish. He just really cat. liked 
to look at larynxes. Okay. Uh, anyway, so he developed this mirror. Um, and then all these people tried to improve on it because they realized that this is a great way to look down patients' throats and up their noses. Okay. Which we're, try- we're desperate to do. We needed a way to do that. Okay. Um, so they tried different ways to improve it by like attaching like a little, like an extended speculum uh, to the to the end of the mirror okay. and then put like a light, like a candle on one end of the speculum. So we would like stick something like a duck build like <laughs> thing down your throat or up your nose with a candle on the other end. As you can imagine, uh, no. all these things didn't work very well. There was an attempt to like have a, an epiglottis retractor where we could pull your epiglottis Ugh. out of the way. To, no, that didn't work very well. Uh, there was a Spanish vocal teacher, a famous Spanish vocal teacher, uh, Manuel Garcia, who used a dental mirror and a handheld mirror and sunlight in order to accomplish this, to, to help look down his throat because he, he matters of voice were his area. Um, so if you can imagine that, it's like a, a bent mirror and okay. then another mirror and then a window is what he was using. Okay. This was the great medical advance that he was making. Yeah. Two mirrors and a window. You know, it's funny. You, you, you give people a hard time, uh, we do, for being bad at stuff. But, like, look how hard it was just to do that. <laughs> like, that was that was really hard just to fix that thing. And he, he presented this to the Royal Society of Medicine. And everybody at the Royal Society of Medicine got really excited about it. Like, look, he got two mirrors and some sunlight. And look what he was able to do. Can you believe so, it? So uh, people started experimenting. There was a, a professor in Vienna, Turk, who was uh, trying to reproduce these results of Garcia's. And he couldn't do it, which... The reason why is because he was trying to do it in Vienna in the fall and there isn't enough sunlight to get the light bright oh, enough to reflect okay. it, which is a crazy thing that he didn't think about. Yeah. Um, it was repeated later by Zermak and he was the one who is finally given credit for what we think of as the modern head mirror because uh, he did the same thing only with uh, candlelight. In 1858, more constant, um, yeah. Basically, just the head mirror, a candlelight as the light source, reflected it down patients' throats, up their noses. Really, has not changed much since then. Just we're using an electric light source versus a candle. Exactly. Uh, now, here's the thing about it: you don't see many doctors using these these days. If you've been to a physician, um, unless you've been to an ear, nose, and throat doctor, that is the one field where you still see them in use are ear, nose, and throat doctors. And that doesn't mean all of them use it, but you, there are certainly um, ENTs who are still trained with them. They're mm-hmm. incredibly difficult to learn how to use. Okay. It's not something you can just figure out. Um, I am not trained in it, so I would not attempt to use it. I wouldn't be able to. You really need to be trained in using it. Um, but If I many- got you one, do you think you would practice with it? Yeah, I'd try. Like, do you want to learn how to do it? I think I it'd be a cool, it'd be a cool, yeah. Okay. That'd be Got a cool it. thing to do. Christmas there, is coming, so. There are people who still like them because they like fold up easily in your pocket um, and they're lightweight on your head. It's just a mirror. Um, and what they've been replaced by is a headlamp, you know, well, yeah. just a light I mean, yeah. on, that you strap around your head. Yeah. So it's still hands free, but it's also heavier. And I don't know. People, there's the argument that sometimes more technology isn't better. Should we go back to head mirrors? I don't know. But there are still people being trained on them to this day. Well, so that, that that's wild. I I the people are, are actually still using that. That's pretty pretty nutty. Now I I want I 
I know we're mainly talking about physicians. I just want to make a quick note. We've done a whole episode on nursing before, and I, and I talked a little bit about what they wore. Um, but I just wanted a couple notes about nursing uniforms because some of this played along with, with what we've already discussed. Okay. Um, initially, as we, we talked about the tie between uh, the medical world and the clergy, um, initially nurses were nuns. Sure. So old nursing uniforms look a lot like nun habits. If you look at very old pictures of nuns it, or of nurses, they look like nuns. Slightly modified nuns. Um, they wore long black robes. They wore white head coverings. Um, even as nursing moved away from its religious roots, they still wore these incredibly long gowns, and that was to protect them from the patients, from any illness that the patient might have, and they were called fever gowns. Oh, wow. Which is kind of crazy. Fever gowns or fever dresses. Um, so these really un- like uncomfortable, bulky, long gowns, dresses that, that nurses would have to wear. Um, again, with the 1800s, when everything turned white, that's where we see the origin of like this, the stereotypical white nursing uniform. Sure. Like you know, your nurse ratchet kind of. The, yeah. the dress and the hat and everything. Um, and, uh, and it really wasn't until the 70s that we see nursing uniforms finally become practical. There was a long time where nursing was synonymous with like a dress. And yes, there were like scrub dresses and things that were more comfortable. Although people who had to wear those scrub dresses will tell you they weren't, uh, but were the, the short white dresses. There was a lot of sexualization of nurses. And so they were stuck in these very uncomfortable and practical Oh, white dresses until the 70s. It's got to be the presence of more men in the field, right? In the nursing field. I'm sure that was a big boost to it was, was one, the presence of more men. And then two, the realization that, um, you know, nurses have a lot of work to do and they can't be worried about trying to straighten out their skirts all day. You mm-hmm. know, they're yeah. professionals. They have a job. Let's let them wear comfortable clothes that allow them to perform their jobs. Sure. Um, today, yeah, I'm sure you've seen your doctor. Most of us just wear, you know. Street clothes, mm-hmm. <laughs> business cash. Kind of sloppy a little bit. No, not I don't sloppy. Like cash look. I like business cash. I think that's how I go. I don't wear a white coat. There are doctors who do. You see that more in the hospital, as Justin has noticed. You see uh, white coats over scrubs with he, which he thinks is crazy, but that is like that was like my standard resident attire. I get it. I guess. Yeah, I guess. It. I see a lot of sports coats over scrubs in the hospital. Now that's too. the one that I think is a little bit bananas. <laughs> Everybody wears scrubs now. Everybody. That is not just a doctor thing, of course. Everybody in the hospital is wearing scrubs. So a lot of hospitals color code it. So in our hospital, based on what, what color scrubs, you may be able to tell what sort of job that person has. Not necessarily, though. Um, the ER has a weird uniform. And I don't know if this is outside of our ER where they wear scrub tops and khakis. Go figure. Okay. Don't fine. know why that's practical, but that's our ER. Um Justin, you had a question about why sometimes we're wearing like extra masks and yeah, I was just stuff. curious how you decide like um, it, it, you know when you're you're going in to see sick people a lot of the time, people who would be contagious a lot of the time. I'm just curious how you decide whether or not you're going to take additional precautions. So we decide actually, but there's a lot of criteria whether or not we're going to take additional precautions. So for every patient, we use what we call universal precautions, which means we wash our hands. Um, if we're going to touch like fluids or anything like that, we wear gloves. Um, obviously, we handle sharp things with care. I mean, the, the universal precautions are meant to, uh, we assume everybody's got something infectious that we could get. And so we take the appropriate precautions not to get it. That's kind of where okay. that comes from. Beyond that, there are special things like, for instance, contact precautions. And that's usually if a patient has a history of like um, a, a fairly serious infection, like a um, MRSA infection. 
a special resistant staph infection. In that case, we might come into your room wearing um, some sort of like paper yellow gown uh, and gloves um, just to make sure that we don't get any of our clothes contaminated or our hands contaminated, mainly so we don't carry that to another patient in the hospital. Okay. Um, you can see us wearing different kinds of masks as well. So moving on from contact precautions, you've get like droplet precautions. So let's say that you've got the flu or mycoplasma pneumonia, or you're a little kid, you got RSV uh, or something like that croup. We might come in your room wearing a mask, just a regular old like surgical mask kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say we're worried about something airborne, an airborne pathogen that's very fairly infrequent. Uh, then we might come in your room in a little bit heavier duty mask called an N95 mask. And I wear those in like tuberculosis rooms. Okay. Um, and then sometimes if we come in your room wearing a gown and a mask, it's not because we're worried about getting stuff on us to carry to another patient. It's because we want to be careful for you. For instance, a patient who's undergoing chemotherapy and who may have a suppressed immune system. We oh. might come in wearing a mask or, or gown or gloves or something to ha- provide an extra barrier between us and our germs and you, a vulnerable patient. Well, that's very responsible of you. So, so just some just some other things you might see us wearing, and why we might why why we might look like astronauts when we walk in your room, <laughs> um, folks. That's going to do it for us for this week. We hope you've had a lot of fun. I want to say thanks to taxpayers for letting us use their song "Medicines" as the uh, intro and outro of our program. And also, you know, I never mentioned this, but also the interlude uh, the is an acoustic version of the taxpayers. If you go to taxpayers.bandcamp.com, you can buy their music and I think you should do that because I think they're a fine group um, thank you to MaximumFun.org for letting us be a part of their network uh, everybody over there is super great uh, I recommend a new podcast to you on Maximum Fun called Adam Ruins Everything if you like that show the TV show now there's a podcast of the TV show well I mean it's not like it's not an adaptation it's just the same cat you know <laughs> making a podcast but still, uh, it's it's a new addition to our, uh, our our network on Maximum Fun, and uh, I, I think it's it, it's people really seem to dig it, and uh, I think you should check it out. It's on iTunes, uh, much like all of our shows. Um, other shows that Sydney and I work on uh, are at Ma- uh, McElroyShows dot com. That's M C E L R O Y dot shows dot com. You can find uh, a lot of our other things and video things and so can writing explore and- our family. Of podcasts. Of podcasts. And, and just our family. I mean, it's our family. It's our family, basically. It's an actual family, a literal family. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. Until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.